everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indy. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. This morning, it, it kind of works and serves as a perfect segue to what we're going to hit on. We're beginning a series today called The Pursuit. And really when it comes to the motivation and the heart to step out and to step into a new role and to have new challenges, a new city, and, and sign your kids up for new schools and finding a new community, it, it's not something you do just because you need a headache, there has to be something bigger than yourself. There has to be something greater and worth the cost of the pursuit. I believe in the case of uh, Mr. Stewart and particularly in the case of the passage that we're going to see here, it's people. Is when you look at the heart of God, when you look at the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah is encountering the presence of Almighty God and he has this encounter where he has been absolutely blown away by this holy king and he's overhearing a conversation that's happening and he's beginning to hear the heartbeat of God, he hears a question being posed and that is, who will go for us? Who will go to the people? Who will go to all the earth? Who will go and share and spread the glory and the presence to the uttermost parts? The closer you get to God, the closer you realize how much he loves people. And the more you get to know him and walk in that love, not just the more you get to be familiar with religious habits and practices. Some of y'all been in church so long, you automatically know all of the cues. You know when to sit, when to stand, when to raise your hand, even when to squeeze your eyes tight. Mm, yes. Like, I've been to certain church settings where I remember, like, folks were, like, on cue. Like, I could cue it when old girl was going to shout on the second row. Like, I knew it. It's going to come after the third song. Watch, watch. And she was good to respond. She had all of the practices down. We get all the rhythms down, but we miss the spirit. And when I say the spirit, I'm not just talking about, like, the sounds and the utterances and the waving. I'm talking about his passion for coming to seek and save that which was lost. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to focus on Luke 15. And in Luke 15, we see Jesus is speaking and he's engaging with a group that had gathered to him and was a bit of a savory group. Some of the Pharisees, some of the scribes were uncomfortable. Some of the religious elite were uncomfortable with his audience and kind of mocking him. They were probably mad because they weren't coming to them, but whatever. And he begins over the course of this chapter to present three parables to help them understand his passion. So I want to begin. Let's go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Luke. It's the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to begin in chapter 15, verse 1. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to him. Now, I want to highlight this one point. He says, tax collectors and sinners. You know, you, 
back in these times, tax collectors were basically known for being cheaters, swindlers, agents of an oppressive government. I don't know, you could maybe say, I I don't know if anybody works for the IRS. If you do, we love you, we bless you, we welcome you, and we want our money back. (laughs) But essentially, they were looked down upon. So these these were kind of crooks that they were saying, you're like, man, why is he putting this together? You know, for the CPAs, he's not talking about you. God bless you. David, I appreciate you, man. Uh, But he says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told him this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine into the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, He lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your love was so strong. Lord, it was beyond just mild affection or humor. We weren't just a convenient enjoyment to you that if it's over, like a good meal or a movie, it's just gone. But Lord, you pursued us. Though we rejected you, though we turned from you, though we still at times turn from you, You pursue us relentlessly. God, I'm asking this morning that you would help us not to receive another list of things to do. Not just to, but I pray that not one person in here would feel a weird sense of shame or condemnation because of what they are or are not doing. But God, I'm asking you that you would fill us with your passion. That you would fill us with your zeal for the lost and the broken and the hurting. God, I'm asking that you would impart to us over the next few minutes your heart for the city that we find ourselves in, your heart for the workplace where we find employment but is really a mission field. Lord, your heart for the campuses that we walk on and go to class in and teach in, your heart for the coffee shops and the grocery stores and the marketplaces all of the spaces and places we find ourselves, may we feel your heartbeat for every person that walks among them. Help us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gabby. All right. Um, have you ever seen, I know right now, because there's certain things that we don't really see much around anymore, the way that we used to see them when I was growing up, uh, like you know, pay phones. Um, I, I saw a pay phone the other day and I kind of freaked out. I almost went and took a selfie in front of it uh, with my cell phone because it was so, such a rare occurrence. But I remember growing up in, in my neighborhood, you know, often seeing, you know, people posting up lost dog or lost cat or lost po- pet uh, posters on the light poles or various things. 
And, and I remember seeing them, and, and, you know, when you see them at first, you look at the picture of the puppy, and I almost feel like they would be even more powerful if they'd post a picture of the sad and the grieving child that wants the puppy back um, and just have that picture as well. But I remember seeing these pictures and feeling sad, feeling sorry for them, looking and be like, oh, man, you know, if I see that puppy, I'll, I'll surely turn it in. But then it's, you know, after time, you know, the seasons change, and you kind of don't see the picture being taken down, it just kind of fades with the weather. And, and I, I off, would often think to myself, like, is this it? Like, is this all the people that lost this animal? Like, are they expecting me to go find it for them? Y'all hear me? It was like, you know, are, are they doing anything else or are they just posting this up and hoping maybe the dog, the lost cat will like, you know, walk along and be like, oh man, that's my face. Man, I have been gone a long time. I better go home. Like, and then just kind of saunter back home. Is, is that the effort that was being put forth to pursue them? And when I think about it in the context of the idea of looking for something that is lost or seeking something that was lost, many times you can tell the value or the weight or the treasure it is by the intentionality and the focus and the chase of, the, of finding it. Like, Forget losing a pet. Have you ever lost your phone? Especially now that we've got our credit card information. We got all. Have you lost your keys to your car? Like you will turn that thing over like the FBI breaking into a house looking for those keys, and then you find like your little daughter is like playing cars downstairs. You're like, hey, mom, look. And you're like, man, gotta get a new bedroom suit now. I'm so grateful that God in his heart towards us actually pursues us with far more intentionality than just posting up a simple picture. You know, I think about my own life, and even as I have pursued God and walked with God from an early age, there was times when I, my heart was drifting, my life was drifting. I remember when I moved to Nashville, Tennessee in 2000, I was a young 20-year-old, really struggling in the crux of some issues in my faith. And I remember wrestling with a lot of loneliness and depression. And uh, I had been visiting this church uh, for barely, you know, barely two months. And um, I happened to meet the associate pastor just a couple times. Uh, but I remember this specific instance where I was really struggling. And, and I was in this point, I know, don't know if anybody has found themselves here or finds themselves here, but I was kind of on this edge where I'm like, God, I, I need a breakthrough. And either... I was teetering between, okay, I'm all in or just going off, uh, off into a ditch, just going off the rails. And I was particularly struggling this Sunday morning, and I was walking to my car by myself. When across the parking lot, I heard this pastor, some of you know Pastor Tim Johnson, and he goes, John Owens, where are you going looking like that? Now, again, I'd only met him a couple times. I met him during the meet and greet. I met him during a visitor's reception. I was shocked even that he knew my name. And I remember stopping in my tracks. And just to describe Pastor Tim, Pastor Tim was a former NFL football player. He's about this tall. And he's walked a lot, so he's, kept, he's gotten slim. But he used to be kind of the size of a large grizzly bear. And uh, he calls me over and wraps his arms around me. And gives me the biggest hug. And he just spoke destiny over me and affirmed me as a man of God. That's one of the things he'd always say. Oh, I love you, man of God. 
Keep your head up, man of God. Stay in this race, man of God. And as I got back into my car and began to drive home, it was almost like God himself was telling me, you know what, John? I love you. You are mine. And I am not letting you go. I remember even during that same time frame, there was a couple moments where I would begin, you know, where I was still in this battle of, of, of wrestling and trying to feel apart and connected and, and trusting God and walking in security and being in this family. And it was almost like, I'm like, the Holy Spirit had Pastor Tim on this, like, just incredible awareness where he would be like the, uh, uh, the butler um, uh, oh gosh, I'm losing my, my train of thought of the movie where you know, the movie where the guy says I'm very very sneaky. He would sneak up on me in the most what is it? Thank you, thank you, Mr. Deeds. Where all of a sudden, just when I was struggling, I would get a call from Pastor Tim. How you doing, man of God? And back then I didn't have a cell phone, so it was extra hard to get a hold of somebody. Where I'd be walking down the hallway, all of a sudden he'd be right there. He was pursuing me. God had given him a heart of a shepherd, a heart of a father to pursue that which was lost. And he took it personal. He acknowledged it as something that he wasn't going to outsource to somebody else. I think it's very important for us to understand, even though he was a pastor, the call to pursue the lost is not to be outsourced to just the vocational ministers. It's actually the call of every person that calls himself a son or daughter of the living God. It's not something that we can just like or share or retweet and go on our way. I'm thankful for social media. There's a lot of great things about it. There's some not great things about it. It's more, it's, usually it has more to do with our hearts than anything that's actually on social media. But one of the things I think it can do, which can be a trap, is it causes us to make this call to pursue the lost almost an impersonal thing. You know, please share and, and retweet and comment on a post, but understand that no post can substitute the personal engagement of a person. That you don't get a pass between answering the call to pursue those who are lost and letting them know about this good God and being kind and walking in love and engaging them and bringing them to Jesus, you don't get a pass just because you shared that post. And so what we see here is we see Jesus communicating through this parable of the importance and the value that he places on pursuing those who have wandered, those who are lost, those who are broken. Now, I think it's hilarious when we read this, uh, when we read this passion passage how God, Jesus is speaking to Pharisees and he's speaking to scribes and he knows that they already feel like they've got it all answered, like they've got it all together. He says, and I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, what Jesus knows and what the disciples knew around him is that he says that none are righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The reason that they had any hope, the scribes and the Pharisees, is because Jesus came from heaven to come and reach them. And so I think one of the reasons that we miss the importance and the value of the pursuit and the pursuit of the lost is that we've gotten too comfortable. We forget that we were in need of a Savior. We forget how desperate we were in need of a rescuer. And we think that now we're good. We're just going to hang out. 
But there's a challenge and a charge. Pursuing the lost in invitation and celebration is something that we must own together. In Luke 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. Now, one of the things that stands out to me, and I really want to give this caveat, is that there was a reason that the sinners and the tax collectors and these different people who were lost, or in this category of lost, were drawn to him. And I think it's important that we understand what it is that he was doing, what he was, uh, how he was engaging them, because often I see this passage used to excuse a lot of foolishness. People are like, oh, you know, Jesus, he was a friend of sinners. He was hanging out with drunks all the time. No. No. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? No, he, he loved everyone. He came to seek and save what was lost, but he wasn't just going to keggers and hanging out. Y'all hear me? He wasn't just going to the club and be like, hey, DJ, can you play some Lecrae real quick? No, 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 no. Whenever you see Jesus interacting with sinners, you want to know what he was doing? He was calling them to repent. But he was so full of love, and he was so removed from this false righteousness of the religious Pharisees that these people who were broken and hurting and actually recognizing that what they were doing was not solving the issue actually felt welcome to come and meet him. They were intrigued to see, okay, you're the first person that I've met where I actually feel like it's okay for me to come and I don't have to go scrub real quick. We, we want to have an attitude and a posture that we're not compromising. You know what Jesus wasn't doing? He wasn't apologizing for what he came to do. He wasn't apologizing for righteousness and holiness. He wasn't affirming whatever sin and brokenness that they were walking in, but he was inviting them to experience real love. Real compassion, and the most important thing is real change. One of my favorite scenes is the encounter where Jesus is protecting the woman who's about to be stoned, and many have cursed her and yelled at her and mocked her and called her every name in the book. Some of those had probably been way too familiar with her. And he defends her and covers her, and, uh, and blesses her, but you know what he says is, go and sin no more. Whenever Jesus is interacting, he says, come as you are, but you're coming to him so that we can be made new. And so I say this as an exhortation in this way, is that we want to walk in a way where the love of God is so rich in us, where we walk in such compassion and such generosity and such care that it doesn't matter. I mean, I tell you, my heart is that I, I try as much as I can. I love when I get on a plane. If I'm trying to sleep and I don't want to talk to anybody, y'all, I'm just get, showing my cards right now. If I don't want to talk to anybody, especially on that Southwest flight, you pull your Bible out. Don't nobody want to sit by you. Unless you get like that really saved person, like, ooh, 
I knew you were going to be here. The Lord told me I had an assignment, and I'm right here, right in between the two of you where three or more are gathered. Hey! I'm like, dang! I'm looking at the other guy, and I'm like, sorry, man. Usually works. Usually works. But I always, I, I, I always get a little bit nervous because when people know that you're a pastor, they immediately start putting up the fake stuff. They start saying what they think pastors want to hear because of their conceived notions of picturing pastors as being judgmental and you can't be real with them and they're going to just look down on me and shame me just like the Pharisees and the scribes. And so usually what I try to do is I let people just kind of share themselves and be real before I say what I do, which usually is real colorful and very flavorful with lots of words. And usually it's actually not a lot of words. It's usually the same few words, (laughs) but used in various colorful ways. And then all of a sudden they find out a pastor, oh, oh, man, oh, my bad, my bad, my bad, my bad. Yeah, my cousin was a pastor. Yeah, and he's quoting like the two verses that they kind of know. And I just pray, Lord, I want to be the, I want to walk in such a way where it's not that, you know, we want to just walk and have people just be profane all the time, but I'm just like, you know what? Sinners sin. I mean, we shouldn't be shocked by that, right? Jesus was never shocked when broken people did broken things. So why should we be? We want to be a place where People can be drawn to the kindness, the loving kindness of God. Do you know the Bible says it is the loving kindness of God that draws people to repentance. It draws people to make the turn and to follow him. So I want to give that caveat because you're not going to lead people to him if you go to the lost and do what they do. I had a mentor one time. He said, Gloves get dirty. Dirt doesn't get glovey. (laughs) This mission is not about just going and doing all of the stuff and then to say, man, I just want to be real and authentic. You need to repent. You need to repent. People will be changed not as you try to dumb down God to become more like them, but as you invite them to receive the grace of God that transforms them and makes them more like him. So, one, we want them to be drawn, but what do we want to draw out of this parable? There's a couple things that, I really, that stand out to me that I want to hammer in today. One is the pursuit. Look at somebody say, the pursuit. Come on, say it with more faith. The pursuit. Come on. And then the second thing is the party. Oh, come on. That was weak, Zach. The party. You weren't the only one, but I love you. That's why I said your name. The party, the pursuit, and the party. I love that Jesus comes at them with this, and he 
paints this picture for us. He doesn't talk about the begrudging search for the broken. No, he talks about pursuing that which is valuable and celebrating it. The first thing is the pursuit. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays, <clears throat> he lays it on his shoulders and he is rejoicing. You need to know this morning that God is all about the pursuit. He came to seek and save which was lost, which is he further says in the, in the, the book of Luke after he visits Zacchaeus. We see that Zacchaeus, some of you know the, the childhood Sunday school song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Zacchaeus was one of these tax collectors. He was a crook. He was a cheater. He was a swindler. But he heard that Jesus happened to be coming by one day, and he was so vertically challenged that he had to climb up into a tree so that he kind of peek and see what, what's this man doing. And I love the fact that, I don't know about you, sometimes if I see the haters, if you walk around and you know somebody is in the workplace or on campus or even like, I don't know if you've ever done this, like when you were in high school, when maybe you're in trouble and you are, you've got to get to a class that you have to pass the principal's office or the dean's office, but you don't want them to see you. And you're just kind of like, okay, how do I get here without you seeing me? And you try to avoid this person. I love that Jesus, he did not avoid a conflict or a person or something that might have been an awkward situation. He looks up at Zacchaeus and goes, Hey, Zacchaeus, get on down here. I'm coming to your house for lunch. He pursues him. He says, I'm coming to your house. I want to step into your situation. God didn't wait for you to get it all together before he pursued you with love. The scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ endured the cross. He wasn't waiting for your invitation. The word of God tells us that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth. God didn't even wait for us to reject him. He already had a plan in place to say, you can break fellowship all you want, but I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. God, I don't want you. <laughs> I love you. I love you. He pursues. He pursues with passion. And not only does he pursue, but you can see how wonderful it is and how valuable we are when you see that the shepherd, when he found the lost sheep, he brought him close. I love that it said he put it on his shoulders. He didn't just yell at it, chastise it, rebuke it, tell, go on with your old lazy, shameful self. No, he brought it close. Do you know that God doesn't just pursue you? He pursues you with love, with passion. He draws you close, and then you know what he does? He parties. He parties. What does it say? Not only was there a party, it said when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who what? Repents turns than over 99 righteous person who need no repentance. He was saying, this is worth all the celebration. And it's not just worth having a little me party with yourself. He says, call your neighbors, call your friends. We are going to do this up big. I love the story of the prodigal son. I don't want to get ahead of myself because we're going to talk about it in a couple weeks. But I love that there was a party. There was, there was a celebration. There was an intentionality to saying one that was lost has now been found. And this is a reason to rejoice. Do y'all hear me, church? 
And so what do we extrapolate out of this? It's not just for us to know the heart of the Father, but if we are his children, then we are a part of the family business. And we are made in his likeness and called to function and be an extension of God in the earth. And so we shouldn't just read this and be like, man, God is so awesome. God is so great. I love the way he pursues us. When we read about his passion, this is our call. This is our call. We are to be a people who make this pursuit personal. I want you to know again, the pursuit, the call to pursue the lost is not just for the evangelist and the extrovert. It's not just for the super zealous city group leader. Though I pray if you're a city group leader that you're calling people and that you're inviting people, that you're engaging people. It's a call for every one of us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 20, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. If you are here this morning and you say, I am saved, I am a son and daughter of the living God, raise your hand. I'm a son and daughter of God. All right, raise your hand, raise your hand. Keep it up, keep it up. Look around the room, look around the room. You are the ministers of reconciliation. Just say that, just say I. Raise your hand again, raise your hand. Say I. I'm a minister minister. of reconciliation. reconciliation. This is my call. call. It's my call to pursue. pursue. Now go ahead and put your hand down. That's the truth. It's your call. Does that mean I'm supposed to leave my job, Pastor? Does that mean I need to go to, to seminary and now I just need to get on this pastoral leadership track? Maybe, maybe. But you know what? It's not for everybody. Do you know that you can be a minister in the gym. Do you know that you can be a, a minister on the red line, on the bus? That the reason that we're called City of Light is because God has called us not just to huddle together and just shine and show each other our light bulb. No, he's called us to go out into the city, to shine brightly in every place and space that he would position us. And sometimes this light isn't just to light up the room. Sometimes he sends us to be a searchlight. Sometimes he's sending us on assignment. You know, one of my favorite, some of my favorite testimonies, I mean, I love all the testimonies, but some that just totally hit me is when I hear the testimony of someone who was thinking about taking their life and they just happened to meet the right person at the right time. God had a searchlight. He was looking for someone and saying, who can I send who will let them know who I am and that I love them? You are a minister of reconciliation. We must take it personally. It's not enough. It really, you, there is no substitute. When you say, what does that practically mean, Pastor? That means that you actually have to open up your mouth. Y'all hear me? And, and connect with people and spend time. It's not you don't have to figure it out all, all on, out on your own. There's a reason why Jesus exhorted the disciples to not go until they received the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit will give you the wisdom that you need as you go to work. It's as simple as praying in your car, God, I thank you that you've given me this job. I thank you that you are my provider. Not just a provider for a paycheck, but a provider for a mission field. And so, God, I'm just asking you, how can I represent your love and your kindness, your faithfulness in my workplace today? God, is there a person on your heart? Can I tell you, if you pray that prayer, he will give you somebody. He will give you somebody. There will be a person. There will be a student. There will be a teacher. There will be a coworker. There may be somebody that you only see in the lunchroom that God's going to put on your heart to begin to pray for and then speak to. Not just Facebook stalk them. Not just share them a link to the podcast. But actually invite them to experience his love and experience community and experience the party. And that's the second part. It's a call to pursue, but we've got to make the party intentional. Now, I love the fact that the shepherd went, and it wasn't just like enough for him to be like, Woo, we're going to celebrate at home. He's like, I'm inviting my neighbors. I'm inviting my family. Everybody, let's come and celebrate. And what you want to understand, particularly about the cultural context here, is that celebration and feast and party, this was not something that was done lightly. Particularly in the Middle Eastern culture, hosting people and being hospitable was a big deal. And it usually cost something. That's why when you look in the parable of the prodigal son, that when he killed the fatted calf, that was a huge deal. The investment that that was to celebrate and acknowledge. And we want to be intentional about the party and the celebration that we're called to you. I don't know if you, what church background you came from or what you're familiar with in worship styles, but if you wonder why do we shout and clap and dance and celebrate the way we do, it's because this is called to be a party. This is called to be a place of celebration. This is called to be a place where we come together and we're a family of sinners who have been saved by grace, redeemed and restored, adopted to God's family, and have not forgotten the joy of our salvation. It's worth celebrating. Church should be fun. That's not all it should be, right? Sometimes it hurts so good. Like, ooh. Somebody told me the other day, like, man, that word was good, but it was like death by a thousand cuts. Sometimes the truth is going to cut, but also